All right. Welcome back, people. Hope you're doing well. She's a return guest, hasn't been on the show since sometime in 2021. We were just figuring out. Her name's Kate Bakos. How are you, Kate? You well? Really well. It's great to be chatting to you. I can't yeah. believe that that time has flown so quick. Yeah, yeah. It's gone very fast. It was, yeah, May, May of 2021. I came to I came to the office. Uh, it was crazy. Got the it fancy. Was. You were traveling roadshow. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Did. We were traveling all around seeing clients. It was good fun then. It was good fun. And that was just before yeah. the second lockdowns in 2021 as well. Oh, before don't things. Remind me. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um for people who may not uh have heard your voice before, do you think you could give us a bit of a cliff's notes of who you are? And then we'll move of through. I'm a Melbourne based buyers agent, and I've been doing this now for nearly 15 years. And I found my feet many years ago doing this as a, a bit of a result of having a, a few passions that I could meld together. So I started life as a chemist, loved the um, analysis that I could draw from property. And I was an investor at, a, at an early age. I started when I was 21 and I worked for a bit as a real estate agent, thinking I'd, I'd find my way into what I was passionate about via that route. And then I, I was a mortgage broker for four and a half years when I was pregnant and then an early mum with my little girl, who's now 17. Mm. And I really enjoyed a lot about mortgage broking, but there were bits that I hated. Mm. So I take my hat off to you. You've got to be very patient and you've got to be able to deal with banks making irrational decisions at yeah. times. And you can put a lot of work into a file and it, it doesn't go anywhere. And then you've got to disappoint a client for no fault of your own. So, yeah. you know, the plight of the mortgage broker, it's always been challenging but it's got much more difficult and and I think that's a great thing for people that are good at it but I, I was really itching to get back into property so I consider the mortgage broking part of my background you know really good apprenticeship it taught me a lot about about lending policy about what banks don't like about cash flow analysis and thinking forward how do you plan a portfolio so all of those things helped me personally but I think they hold me in really good stead as an advocate too. So I've got a very, you know, finance kind of bent to my approach. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, and I, I help owner-occupiers and investors. And I only cover Victoria and I've got a, a real pension for um for Melbourne and Ballarat and Geelong. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, okay. And, and I guess for people who maybe don't know a ton about buyer's agents because they're definitely not as popular um, to the layman in Australia or well-known to the layman as maybe America or other countries where they exist. Like you're you're almost like a representative who a client might give you like a brief of, hey, this is sort of the type of house or unit I'm looking for. Here's my price range in these areas. And you sort of take that information and, and you're their representative to try and acquire a property, right? Yes, right. And I, I help with strategy in almost every single situation that I, I get to deal with. Occasionally I'll have a client say, look, I've, I've spotted this property. I don't care whether you like it or not. I need you to bid or negotiate for it. That's a very mm. basic level service for, for a buyer's agent. Yeah. Um, in most cases, people are looking for a strategist and I've, I've got my QPIA. I pride myself on being able to give that advice and I won't necessarily follow the same request that the client gives me when I first meet them, I'll challenge what they're wanting to do and why mm. and you know what, what their ultimate goals are, how long they've got until they want to retire, what sort of returns they're looking for, uh, how hands-on they want to be. And I'll often tip a strategy on its head. So someone will come in with a certain ideal and they'll, they'll walk out the door either with homework or a, a reframed perspective. Yeah, that's super important from the mortgage broking side too of like if you're 
some people will come to us and they're like, oh, we want to buy a house. So where? Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. Newcastle. All right. Well, <laughs> like, and so getting yeah. a bit more nitty gritty is super important. And so you're pretty nitty gritty with numbers then, right? I am indeed. Yeah. And sometimes it won't be the right time for someone, yeah. as you will know, mm. or that won't be the right approach. I had someone yesterday who I chatted to and they're in their early stages. They haven't signed on yet. We've got a really good banter. I gave them some homework and I said, you've had your, your first chat with me, but we really need to have a second chat because you've got homework to do. So they went away and came back with some recently sold property links for me so that we could weigh up what they're trying to do. Mm. And they were really um, oscillating between a unit in Melbourne or a house in Geelong. And then they said, well, we're just not sure that we're ready to do the big move away from our friends and, you know, to to be further from the office, even though they, they have a hybrid work arrangement. And I said to them, if, if you're certain that you'll ultimately want to be in Geelong, then why don't, why don't you have a think about buying a property that you can rent out in Geelong and earmark as your own and keep renting where you are if you're loving it because the, the situation that they're in right now will work for them for another couple of years. But I don't like the idea of buying a unit in Melbourne and then selling it in a couple of years because you'll just erode all of your gains with your stamp duty and your agent selling fees and marketing and styling, et cetera. Why do two moves in two years when you can nail it yeah. and, and get the family home now and get that foot on the ladder. So for them, that was probably the right move and they've got some homework to do. But every every client's journey is different. And as you know, that they don't always buy when they think that they want to. Sometimes they have more homework to do or more savings to do or they, they might need to get out of their system what they're, they're wanting to do um, before they commit financially to something. Yeah. And and so like, like you said, your specialty, it seems to be like, you're, you've got a penchant for Melbourne, Ballarat, did you say, in Geelong. Um, so right. I wondered, like, when, whenever I talk to people in the property side of, of the spectrum, I try and get them to give us a bit of a breakdown for the layman of, like, your reflections of the property market for 2023 and, and where you think it might go in 2024, if you're happy to do that. Yes, of course. Look, Melbourne, let's chat about Melbourne first. It's mm. probably the elephant in the room. <laughs> it's broadly underperformed. Yeah. Uh, we haven't gone backwards. We've had gains this year, but Melbourne's had some really enormous headwinds for the last few years. And we've we've had a consistent array of downturns that have hit us in quick succession. We all have. But how we've navigated our way out of COVID was more challenging than a lot of other cities because we had a lot of internal migration away from our city. But at the same time, we've been hit with a lot of um, external migration. Uh, and that's probably supported us from having negative price movement, to be honest. We've had enough new arrivals um, to help soak up stock. And we had really limited stock numbers through last year. And it's hard to explain why. I mean, a lot of cities had insufficient stock to meet the demands of buyers, even through interest rate increases, buyers couldn't get their hands on enough stock. And I think in Melbourne in particular, we had a lot of people forced to make a decision in lockdown. They, they couldn't stand the lockdowns and they either you know, had to accommodate working from home by getting a larger property or they decided to leave Melbourne altogether and you know flog to the regions or go interstate. We had a lot of people move to Queensland. And as a result, when you have a lot of forced movement, when vendors make snap decisions, even if they later decide that it was the wrong decision or they're not so happy, 
they'll be reluctant to sell immediately. It's a bit of a human psychology that, you know, if you've made that decision, just sit tight, soak it up and uh, and wait for a better time to sell or try and assimilate and, and make the most of it. So in response to that, we had limited vendor participation last year and early this year, and people were just screaming out for stock, me included. And I think that that stock deficiency really supported us from having price falls. We had slight gains merely because buyers were, were really competing hard against each other to buy in a, a limited stock market. Mm. So that's Melbourne. Yeah, okay. And I feel I feel like uh, when I came and saw you last in 2021, I was staying with friends in uh, Belmont in like yeah. with a, I think it's a suburb outside of Geelong or within the greater Geelong. Geelong. Yeah, yeah. So and Geelong was going pretty. It seemed like it was on a bit of a boom at the time, especially probably people who wanted to get bigger space outside of Melbourne, moving out to places like that. So like, has Geelong yeah. sort of like Geelong reminds me of? I grew up in Newcastle. Geelong reminds yeah. me of a cold Newcastle. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like, um, how how is Geelong and, and Ballarat sort of fared over the last couple of years, I guess? They broke records during COVID and in yeah. the, the time after, and they did really, really well. Um, I, I helped my stepson. Well, he, he did it himself, but he bought in Geelong and you know bought a house for four fifty one and recently had it revalued at seven twenty, which is insane. Crazy. Um but look Geelong and Ballarat, like like Melbourne, they came off a little bit when the interest rates started to bite. And Geelong's one of those cities, it's still going. And I I don't think we've seen half of it yet. There's a lot of civil work and infrastructure upgrades impacting the city positively. Got a pretty good train train travel there to Geelong and we've had you know track widening and and new line upgrades they've also got the spirit of Tasmania now going out of the port of Corio and of course anyone that's tried to to navigate flying down here we've got Avalon Airport in addition to Tullamarine Airport so there's a lot going for Geelong but the the main thing is it's a really attractive city and it's not very far from the city here mm. so as we've got urban sprawl gripping our, our city expansion, a lot of pe- commuters will find that Geelong's closer than the outreaches of our urban sprawl now. So if, you, if you're out in the southeast of Melbourne, you'll sit on a train getting out to Pakenham for a lot longer than you'll sit on a train getting to Geelong Station. And unlike the the outer sprawling parts of, of Melbourne, Geelong's a really pretty city with you know, great architecture and a really developing food and wine scene we've got Mm. beautiful vineyards out there and so it's got an edge that people are really enjoying you're getting day trippers and weekenders enjoying a bit of Geelong but we're now seeing a lot of people who can work from home or work in a hybrid arrangement saying I'd love to to be in Geelong and it's a nice place to raise family the Mm. schools are good it's a, a very friendly community and like I said it's pretty and it's it's had a real facelift a lot about Geelong um, harked back to to the industrial side of of the city, and you know we had the Ford manufacturing plant, and we had a lot of blue collar workers, and it's it Geelong's had some really tough things to deal with in its past, in its recent past. We had the Pyramid Building Society collapse, which took out a lot of household wealth and and savings. It was absolutely horrendous for for Geelong, and then we had the Ford plant closure. And a lot of people thought I was crazy buying a Geelong 10 years ago, but the city has completely changed. It's it's mm. evolved. It's gentrified. 
we've got a lot of entrepreneurial people and business people, but we've got heaps of white collar people as well. Yeah. Yeah. Geelong's an interesting spot. I remember like they've even got like Melbourne hipster cafes there now. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> if you go to Little Mallop Street, like yeah. pick the place you want to dine at and it's yeah, just yeah. so fun. Yeah. And the beach, the waterfront's beautiful and yeah. there's a university presence down there yeah. um, in Warren Ponds, which is down south of the city. Um, we have a really big Deakin campus, but Deakin's also now on the waterfront. So how beautiful. You jump off the train, you walk down to the beach and you go to uni. Yeah, My daughter's eyeing cool. it off actually. That's sick. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so um, we're going to chat like, I've been fo- I follow Pete Wargen on Twitter. So Pete, yeah. I love Pete on Twitter. He's fun to fun to follow, and he's he shares hilarious. a lot of good news. Yeah, he's got a good sense of humor. Um, he doesn't mind throwing a grenade out there. Hi, no, Pete. no, no. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, I think he announced he shared something, and you shared something about an upcoming book you guys are going to have yes. released. So I just wanted you, I just wanted to see if you could talk to us about it. Yeah, a little bit of a sneak preview. So Pete and I have um, have put together sixty thousand words, and it's currently with our um our publisher's editor and it's been a, a joy to write with Pete we've threatened to do something for a little while and and joked about it but we've got a lot in common and we've also got a lot of things that make us very very different and what we wanted to do was interweave our own personal experiences as investors um into the book and talk from two different perspectives about the challenges and also mostly the things that that we feel are must do's for investors to have a successful run. So the stuff that's really important, all of the imperatives, we we started writing and I thought it might have taken us a year to pull it all together. But I remember Pete was on this course um, over the, a weekend and obviously when he was listening to segments that didn't interest him, he was smashing out chapters. And I, I write a lot when I travel as well, so I was trains or whatever and belt out a bit of work. And it came together very quickly. In fact, we had to kind of colour a few bits and, and make sure that it was the right size for the publisher. So that's um, set to come out in June, July next okay. year. It's interesting when you talk to your publisher and then they start telling you all of the steps. And we've got a lot of things that we need to do between now and then. We've had cover photos done. We're designing the cover. We're settling on the, mm. the title and the subtitle and getting some dear industry mates to write a few good words for us. But yeah, okay. that that's where the book's at at the moment. So we, we will be doing... Um, well, we'll be launching a podcast mini series um, to talk about the book, and okay. and we'll have a community that we'll be um, tapping into around the book as well. Yeah, sick. And so, speaking of like cool cover photos and all that stuff, I've just read yeah. who illustrated this book. Oh, <laughs> so is that your daughter did the cover it for is. that? That's yeah, awesome. she was about six at the time. Okay, she's got okay. a couple of pictures in there. That, awesome. that was a fun little book, and I self-published yeah. that. Okay. So it's um it's quite a different experience when you're going through, um you know mainstream big time publisher. It's great. yeah for sure. There must be a bit of a learning curve. It might be a bit anxiety filling to to go through like a legitimate. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah, I just get excited. You yeah. know, it's she's really lovely and and very good at just saying how it is and what we need to do differently. And and that's everything you want from a professional that you're partnering with. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, this book I just showed on screen, Successful successful Property Investment, 48 Real Life Property Adventures and How You Can Benefit From Them. Is that, this one's available on the website, I think, Kate? Yeah, you can yeah, find okay, it sweet. on my website. It's a link to Amazon. Okay. And I've got a few hard copies if people want to yeah. reach out. Otherwise, it's in um, electronic format. 
last thing I wanted to chat to you about, and it's something I've tried to talk to you about with as many of the female guests that come on, because it's a bit more pertinent to to females, obviously. And I don't really think I've got much expertise talking about it, obviously, right? So mm-hmm. more stats coming out recently about women I think over 50 or over 55 are the the cohort that's seeing the highest rise in homelessness you know post-retirement there's a significant gap in like superannuation balances of men at retirement compared to women and obviously there's a ton of things like you know family formation and leaving the workforce to raise kids that tends to to weigh more towards females leaving the workforce than the males um, yeah. There's all these factors that will might influence, you know, the wealth outcomes of females in Australia compared to men. Like, what what advice would you share for young women to ensure that they've got some sort of financial nest egg, I guess, for themselves, regardless of relationship status? Like, what what do you think about that a lot? I do a lot. Yeah. It's such a a tough um, and and real situation, and it's the hardest part, to be honest, of what I do when you meet someone vulnerable who has insufficient funds to to carve out a pleasant retirement. That That's a sad, sad fact. And I think, you know, for the women that, that went before me, it, it was very hard. And we talk about the glass ceiling and wage disparity, but despite the fact that it still exists, it's nothing like what it was. And, you know, even when I had my daughter 17 years ago, a return to work wasn't an easy guarantee. I, you know, had some poor behaviour during my pregnancy in the workplace and um, and you, you still see it, but it's not like it used to be. And so you've got women that, as you said, have insufficient super balances and, and have had their career progression impacted by motherhood. We all, anyone that takes time out of work for a sustained period absolutely has their career impacted. I don't care what anyone says. And, you know, that they find themselves in a position where they're, they're suddenly single if they've had a relationship breakdown and yeah, they've got insufficient funds. It's horrible. And then they're, they're facing, you know, living in a little unit or in a granny flat at the back of the kid's house or renting or, as you said, homelessness, which is just unthinkable. So my advice for for young women is to embrace what we what we have managed to have gains on. When we're not still there yet, and we've still got a long way to go, but mm. we've come a long way. We've got better salaries. We've got better working conditions. We've got better rights. We can have a louder voice. We can be more supported. We can also navigate parental leave a lot better than what we used to. And so they must stand up for themselves and demand um, what's fair. And when they when they do want to plan a family, if that's where they're, they're going, if they want time off, they need to make sure that they're, they're getting what they're entitled to and they've, they're feeling genuinely supported, not lip service, and they're carving out a really good way forward with their career and their return to work. So you've got to stay close to your employer and you've got to remain part of the team. I think that's that's really valuable. I, I know someone who has launched an amazing business over the the decade that I've known her. Um, call out to Jody at Circle In, and mm. you know that's a, a business that consults to large, um, you know, multinationals about how to engage parents who are taking time out of work and keep them um, keep them integrated with with their careers. So that's the first point. Stay close to your career and stay in touch and don't feel that you've, even if you're off for a few years, don't feel that you've lost your your sense of self when it comes to career. Uh, And I'd also say 
a man is not a plan. You know, a man is not a financial plan. It's a saying I've heard someone else mention. It. It's mm. a clever one. You've got to embrace doing it for yourself. And that, that involves risk. So it, it is hard, you know, signing um, on the dotted line when you're going solo, but don't be afraid to do so. And I think protecting your wealth is important. You know, I've had a, a conversation with my nearest and dearest about, um, you know, prenups or or deeds or, you know, legal agreements around things that, that should um that you should be able to feel like you can protect and and lastly um you know have have a, a longer term plan as well so don't just feel like getting your first place is you know tick that box if you've got capacity to invest in more property or other asset classes keep doing that and as we both know the younger you get started the better the outcome is yeah. later in life yeah oh, for sure like I think uh, the the thought process of like trying to stay on course once you've gotten something like a house or some shares or whatever and not being tempted to sell it because you've made a profit is something that I'm yeah. trying to mentally prepare myself for. Do you know what I mean? Because Good. that's going to come. Like the amount of work I've put into this house in a year has made yeah. me really sad about life <laughs> just from the money. But like I know I'll make it back and then some. I've just got to hold the course and just like, just hold on for dear life for ages. <laughs> I agree. And if it takes a little bit of sacrifice or changing up your expenditure, then so be it. And yeah. people that that sit there tracking price movement, I think they get it wrong. You can't get up close and look at that chart. You've got to give property a chance to grow and stand back and look at it. So count your equity, maybe do it every every year. Mm. Because if you're sitting there each month looking at core logic data and wondering if you've buying or selling or holding that that's trading and trading in property is very expensive yeah. share trading you can place an order or, or you know buy or sell for nine dollars yeah. in property it's stamp duty that's the killer yeah 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 and w- one thing I, I was thinking about earlier and i've spoken to a few other people about it like you got into property investing at an, a pretty early age were you someone who was fairly frugal to begin with, to start getting into property yourself? And have you always stayed fairly frugal regardless of where you've become, where you've gotten to financially? Does that make sense? Or has that evolved over time? It does make sense. I was very frugal. I was that friend that, you know, was very cautious about where I went out for dinner and I didn't go out spending loads of money. I I certainly didn't have exy holidays, didn't go nuts with cars, um, I was really committed to my property journey. In fact, you know, if I had enough money to buy a good car, I would buy a property. And that was my my mantra. And I also, you know, as as the portfolio grew, and my husband's very aligned as well, we kept our living standard pretty consistent. So we didn't increase our living expenses as a result of, you know, increased wealth um, for all of the acquisition part of our journey. And then we're obviously into, we're now in debt retirement. And so again, if we... I certainly enjoy life a little more than I used to, but I'm really committed to paying down that debt. So if you can manage that, if you can be frugal at the start and then have you know an acceptable lifestyle spend, you don't want to be so frugal that you, you spend 40 years of your life not enjoying it. Mm. Um, but while you've got properties to, to accrue in those early years, you, your cash flows will be really tight. And so you've got to live within that and just keep keep the eye on the prize. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, do you want to do you want to just let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want to hear more from you or get in touch about the book, uh, and then we'll get yeah. out of here. 
Oh, wow. Um, they can find me on katebakos.com.au. Now, my name, Kate, is spelt with a C. And the book is on a tab on my website, or you can just Google Kate Bakos on the, the Amazon book um, book page and you'll you'll see the book there. Now, in terms of Pete's and my book, um, I will look forward to chatting to you about that next year yes, and I'll sure. certainly get you some books that you can share with your listeners because yes, we love to get it out there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's sick. I'm just trying to tell as many young people like myself to like stop going to the pub every weekend you know what I mean? And like, I totally know to what, get what you mean. Going. <laughs> I love it. When my, I've got a little story for you, when my stepson was turning 21, you know, he had a bit of an interest in what we were doing, but I don't think he fully understood it. And I thought to myself, what would be a cool present? You know, like I didn't want to just put debt around his neck, but I really wanted to see him get on the property ladder. And so I decided we'd tip in 10% deposit. And we'd do a deal with him and get him to labour because he's a qualified chippy. And he, he had a bit of leave owing to him as well. So we bought a house in Sunshine West in joint names. And I put in the 10%. He put in the labour. I bought the materials and and we renovated it. And the, the deal was this house can't be sold. And you can't live in it. You can only access equity for the purpose the purpose of further residential investment and he agreed to all of those terms and so now for for the last 8 years we've had this asset growing and the cash flows I made sure that they were they were balanced so that mm. we had something that was close to neutral and now it's positively geared and that's a, a very early stage for for positive yield um, for a property but it just means this thing will be sitting there set and forget and he's been able to access equity and and he'll do that again and again that's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's good if um if you're in the position to be able to help help uh your children get into the market earlier, it'll reap dividends. You know, it'll be, it'll be great in the long term for sure. One of the best things that I could see parents do, aside from just being supportive in a moral sense, is if they're in a position to to gift equity. So, in other words, whether it's a a family pledge loan or guarantee, that makes an enormous difference. It's a real leg up. Yeah, for sure. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it as always. So good to see you, Damien.